Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is May the 6th, 2022, and I'm happy you could join me. <clears throat> happy I could finally join you. As you've noticed, I'm running an hour behind traffic in New York with a miserable storm blowing through here. was uh, Well, it was a challenge, but better late than never. So again, I thank you for joining me. <clears throat> and here we are. One day after a major date in history. Anybody know what the date is? May 5th? No, it has nothing to do with the celebrations of another country. Yesterday was the anniversary of Alan Shepard becoming the first American to be launched into space aboard his Mercury spacecraft, Freedom 7. Um, and I remember sitting in typing class in junior high school when they broadcast the radio coverage of that historic launch over the school's public address system. Um, <clears throat> I was so excited. I wrote astronaut Shepard a letter, and amazingly, he replied. I have a copy of his letter along with a copy of a letter from Gus Grissom and other notables, uh, and my, my family was kind enough to put it all together for me a couple of years ago in an album that sits in the bookcase next to my desk here in my office. Uh, these guys, the astronauts, the test pilots, are the true heroes. <clears throat> Pardon me. As I mentioned in the past, I work with the Speakers Bureau down in Washington, and uh, on occasion I'm honored to be able to address members of the armed forces. Frequently it's the U.S. Air Force. A couple of years ago, uh, one of our America's current astronauts who had just returned from the space station was in attendance, these are the real heroes. <clears throat> we need to get our heads straight, folks, about who heroes are, what role models are. And when I hear this, these nonsense make-believe terms, influencers, my gosh, maybe it's because of, um, I, I am of an older generation, but sometimes basic truths are timeless. Um, we have got to get our kids to understand the values. They're certainly not getting them in many of the classrooms around the country as they are being indoctrinated with critical race theory, not preparing them for their future as adults in this great nation. That's what school is really supposed to be, isn't it? It's kind of like boot camp for adulthood. You take kids through the process, learn them, help them to learn the, the fundamentals, reading, writing, arithmetic, history, science, physics, and, and give them the intellectual tools that will enable them to be successful adults. Where has that gone? I remember as a kid going to what we called shop class. We learned woodworking, sheet metal, electric. Uh, we had a printing class. <clears throat> we learned the fundamental skills. And what infuriates me is that this disaster that we find ourselves in now began with a simple lie. 
We need to import the immigrants. Dare we use the accurate and legally proper term of illegal aliens. We need the aliens to do the work Americans won't do. And that was when they were talking about the manual jobs. And then we need to bring in the world's best and brightest so America can lead, and that was through the visa process, the best and brightest. We need to bring in the best and brightest to America. I mean, I know that we have to question whether we are smart when we look at the people we elect to public office all too frequently. But my gosh, folks, the world's best and brightest have been Americans. It was the Americans who ended World War II successfully. Of course, with our allies, don't misunderstand, this wasn't a one-man band. <clears throat> but America picked up the mantle and was the leader. America sent men to the moon more than a half century ago, and no country has since been able to do that. You look at all of our accomplishments, and you look at the freedom that we used to take for granted, the freedom that is dwindling under a government that has no respect for its own citizens and no compassion for its own citizens, seeing in the citizens of our country the threat of terrorism. Look, are there extremists in America? You bet. Are there violent people in America who need to be incarcerated? Absolutely. But when you have an administration that looks at one side of the equation and says that radicals on the right versus radicals on the left are the problem, no. Anybody who is a radical, anybody who believes that violence is a solution to a grievance is a problem and poses a threat and needs to be dealt with effectively according to law. This administration won't do that. When they can ignore immigration law enforcement, when they can ignore an open border, even as record numbers of people are dying of drug overdoses, even as record numbers of illegal aliens are pouring into the United States, but focus on the parents who don't want their children to be indoctrinated with critical race theory or the problem, an administration that has nothing to say about the notion of people, demonstrators, God forbid, rioters, going to the private homes of members of the Supreme Court because they don't like a decision that should never have been leaked. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I've got a problem with it. It's full disclosure. I'm a registered Democrat, and I'm embarrassed, and I'm mortified by what I've been seeing and hearing. When Maxine Waters stood there during the Trump administration and said, go out there and intimidate them, get in their face. If they're in the theater, if they're in the gas station, if they're with their families, get in their face and scream at them and tell them how unhappy you are, or whatever it was she said, words to that effect. The America that I know, that's not the America that any of us know. <clears throat> And now you have Biden saying that those who uh, believe in the phrase make America great again pose the greatest threat of violence in the history of the United States. Make America great again poses a threat to his plans to take down our country. And I can't see it in any other way. The idea that for the first time that I could remember, an administration wants to create an, a ministry of truth a Bureau of Misinformation. They are the Bureau of Misinformation. This is taking us in a very dangerous and unprecedented direction. Freedom of speech is essential for every other freedom that we have. I know that many of my conservative friends say, well, without the Second Amendment and firearms, we're done. No, without freedom of speech, we're done. 
when you have to be careful that you say something that may upset somebody in a position of authority, you no longer have any freedom, any freedom. This is a power grab. This is an end to democracy if this continues down that path. 1984, George Orwell is synonymous with Newspeak. Why Newspeak? Because you control people's thoughts by controlling language and words. Words are at the foundation of the human thought process. The greatest successes come when human beings question what's considered common knowledge, conventional wisdom. We used to call that sort of thing, not that long ago, thinking outside the box. And a word started to creep in <clears throat> to the conversation, and the word worried me. The word that we started to hear as a wonderful thing was the word disruptive. This new company is disruptive to the industry. Disruptive. When I went to school, if you were accused of being disruptive, you wound up in the principal's office and your parents weren't happy with the phone call they got. Disruptive is good? Absolutely not. But I believe that this was setting the stage for all the disruptions that we've been seeing from the radical left. Now, the problem is that neither political party is really and truly looking out for the average American. That's why there is so much discord in America. Purchasing power has been evaporating for quite some time. We've been bringing in an army of foreign workers because either Americans were too lazy or too stupid to do the work that needed to be done. And so Americans were pushed aside with glee by both parties. Both parties. And suddenly the middle class was under attack. Alan Greenspan, back in 2009, testified for Chuck Schumer over at the Senate Immigration Subcommittee and said the solution to wage inequality is to make American high-tech workers compete with foreign workers because at that time, Americans were earning far too much money. When have you ever heard anyone in or out of government complaining that American middle-class workers were earning too much money. He went so far as to refer to American middle-class workers as the privileged elite. And yet when they confronted some Republicans, including people like Bob Goodlight, immigration lawyer who made his fortune with H-1B visas, he was the former chairman of the, of the House Judiciary Committee, so-called conservative Republican, didn't want to answer the questions. And then he finally told me how his son would love to bring in tons of Indian, brilliant Indian programmers. Where the Americans fit in in that? There was a time when corporations looked at every American child and saw in those American faces of every color, every ethnicity, every religion, they saw their future employees. They wanted those kids to get the best possible education because they knew that 5, 6, 8, 10, 12 years down the road, those kids were going to be knocking on the door looking for jobs. So the better trained they were, the better prepared they were, the better job they could do for those corporations that depended on them for getting the job done. And all of a sudden that went out the window. Because now we are importing a foreign workforce, a foreign workforce. And labor is a commodity. You flood the marketplace with a commodity, and guess what happens? The value of the commodity goes down. You flood the workforce with more workers than the number of new jobs that you create, and guess what happens? Workers get displaced. They get fired. 
And this has been going on for decades. Donald Trump was the first one to stand up to this in decades. Now, I don't always agree with Donald Trump. I'm not one of those guys who Trump can't be right. He can't be wrong, rather. But look at the people who believe that Donald Trump can't be right, nor can anybody who agrees with him on any issue. Hillary Clinton spewing venom, spewing venom. Uh, it's got to stop. The government of the United States, first and foremost, should be looking out for the best interest, the welfare, and the future of Americans and American children. And they've strayed. <clears throat> and that's why the siren song of socialism and communism has become ever more appealing. First of all, I really doubt that most kids were taught anything about communism or socialism, because if they did, it would be a different conversation. I know <clears throat> I was certainly taught about communism. I was taught about Joseph Stalin and how he killed tens of millions of his own citizens, because there's only two ways to control people, just like there's only two ways to, to train a pet. You either provide the carrot or the stick. Under communism, there's no carrot to each according to his needs, and they decide what you need. So it's not according to what you want. It's according to what you need. And you know there's a big difference between want and need. And so do each according to their needs, right, from each according to their ability. So we're going to take everything we can. We're going to squeeze you like a lemon, and we'll give you some crumbs. That's what that really means. But most Americans don't realize it. And most Americans are like gerbils running on a, on a little Ferris wheel or in the cage trying to keep up, running up a down staircase, however you want to look at the analogies. And over time, the purchasing power of the middle class evaporated. Education has become ever more costly. In fact, education debt is the second biggest debt held by American citizens next to mortgages. And what exactly are the kids getting for that high-priced education? For the most part, not much, it seems. And when you bring in foreign workers, what's the point of being educated if you're not going to get the job anyway? And then there's a lot of lies that get spewed. Well, once we secure the border, then all we have to do is give legal status to everyone who's here. Uh, I'm going to write a piece about the lies, the myths, the nonsense, the propaganda, the con job. But before we do that, what I want to focus on today are two articles that I just wrote that just got published both on uh, May 2nd, so just a couple days ago. Front Page Magazine published my article, Former Honduran President Charged with Smuggling Huge Quantities of Narcotics into the U.S., and the subtitle, Meanwhile, Biden's Border Policies Facilitate Smuggling Operations in U.S. And, 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 sorry, I'm reading a run-on sentence here. Shame on me today. Uh, meanwhile, Biden's border policies facilitate smuggling operations. The second article, U.S. Incorporated, published my article, Mayorkas lives up to expectation as zealous opponent of immigration law enforcement. Um, and, and, and those two articles really cover the same fundamental topic. And what's the topic? How in the world did we allow an open border by, and how did we allow Mayorkas to become the head of Homeland Security? Back on December 7, 2020, before Biden was inaugurated, I wrote a piece about Mayorkas, and I said that he would create for the Biden administration the Department of Homeland Surrender. And if you read my article, I quoted a, an extensive, multi-part investigative report, excellent report done 
believe it or not, by ABC News about how Mayorkas was investigated by the Office of Inspector General when he headed up Citizenship and Immigration Services for the Obama administration. <clears throat> he ordered his people to approve visa applications that should never have been approved. And when he was told by the FBI and Homeland Security Investigations, and by the way, Homeland Security Investigations is actually a division of ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. So agents from both the FBI and Homeland Security Investigations went to Mayorkas as the head of Citizenship and Immigration Services, America's locksmith, if you will, giving an alien a green card or a U.S. passport gives them the keys to the kingdom, doesn't it? Gives them the keys to other countries, too, on the basis that they are American citizens or lawful immigrants in the United States. It's supposed to be the gold standard. Well, it's kind of tarnished, if you ask me. But nevertheless, they went to him and said, these visas that you're looking at should never be approved. The aliens in question have a link to a potential Iranian terrorist group. Please do not approve these petitions. The Mayorkas looked at them and said, yeah, I'm going to approve them anyway. And nobody acted to undo it. Nobody did anything. He actually gave out the visas. And then the investigation continued on, and they found that he was approving visa applications, allegedly, for a company that was linked to Terry McAuliffe and his electric car car, uh, company. This is malfeasance on a scale that is stunning. And when he was selected by Biden to be his director of Homeland Security, there were Republicans who stood up at the hearing and talked about what I'm talking about right now. And the Democrats said, we don't care. You don't care that this guy approved visa applications for possible terrorists? You don't care that he politicized the office that gives visas to people, the treaty-invested visas? You don't care that he took actions that undermined U.S. national security and public safety? You don't care that he took actions that maybe took jobs away from Americans? You know, it's funny. The Democrat Party used to be the party of American workers. It was the working party. My dad was a construction worker, union guy, one of my biggest heroes in the universe, the only one who might be bigger. It's kind of like a, a dual thing. I have the, the, the two in my hand, my mother and my father, my two biggest heroes ever. My mom came here as a 13-year-old by herself, lived in a room against, came legally, I might add. Her mother couldn't get out of Poland. She could. This is before the war. My grandmother was killed because of our religion. I'm Jewish. Um, I was named for her. My mother lived by herself in a rooming house and supported herself by working in a sweatshop making umbrellas for $3 a week. My dad was a construction worker, a tradesman. And i got to tell you, one tradesman can usually do more than 20 tradesmen go through a five-year apprenticeship. They didn't just hand my dad a wrench and say, go to work, congratulations, you're a plumber. He was a plumber who did new construction, not repair work, but construction. He worked at Kennedy Airport. He worked on the World's Fair, and I would go to all these places that he was working on on the weekend because I was fascinated to see what he accomplished. It was palpable. You could hold it in your hand. You could see it. There was that building. There was that building. In fact, I remember one summer uh, there was an apartment house under construction, less than a half mile from my house. So during the summer I took my bike, I was 15, went to that job, bought the men on that job lunch and brought them soda. I got the return deposit on the bottles, and they gave me tips. So I was making pretty good money back then. I think I was making over $10 a day. And, and when I was 15 years old, let me tell you, $10 a day was a good deal. 
But the bigger part of it was I was with my dad. And I remember one day, and his foreman agreed. My father said, you think it's fun being a plumber? I'm going to have you put in a line of toilets and one whole line of apartments from the first floor up to the sixth floor of this apartment house. And I did. And I loved driving by that apartment house because to this day, in my mind's ear, I can still hear that orchestra of construction workers, the sawing and the hammering, um, that cacophony, that, that grand orchestra of accomplishment, of achievement. The building is still there, and I love driving by it because I still remember being there with my dad. And today we're told about the work Americans won't do, that we need to import foreign workers. There is no concern being shown by either party, serious concern, about how do we train Americans to take the jobs. If you think that there's a deficiency in the education system so that kids are graduating from college without the necessary skills, what are we doing about it? And you have Republicans standing there and saying, we need to import the world's best and brightest. Really? Which party is going to finally stand up, and not with words but with deeds, actually represent Americans, American children, American families, the American dream for American citizens. Wow, there's a novel thought. The dreamers conjured up the idea of the American dream. But who were the dreamers? Illegal aliens. What about the American dreamers? Oh, get off the line. You're in the wrong line. You're an American? You might be a, a, a radical anyway, so we don't want to even look at you. Is that where we are, a country of self-hating Americans being run by self-hating Americans? If I'm getting something wrong, please correct me. Send me an email. Tell me where I'm getting this wrong. We've been watching the middle class being dismantled by design to satisfy those people who are profiting by the destruction of the middle class. And you destroy the middle class, you destroy the heart and soul of America, you weaken America, and you leave us vulnerable to the tyrants of the world, Putin and the Iranians and all the rest of them. Is that what America is supposed to be doing, taking itself apart? We were energy independent. We are no longer. We had the best economy going. Where is it now? Look at the stock market. Look at inflation. Is this the way you safeguard a country? Is this the way the, the president lives up to his oath of office and Mayorkas lives up to his oath of office? So when you look at Mayorkas's background and you look at what's happening on the southern border, and all we're hearing from the news media, the southern border, the southern, that's all we ever hear. Once we secure the southern border, once we deal with the border states, and when you say border states, everyone's supposed to know you're talking about California, New Mexico, Arizona, and Texas, the border states. Baloney. If the Mexican border was sealed up airtight, 9-11 would have happened exactly the way it happened because none of those terrorists came across the Mexican border. Now, that doesn't mean don't secure it. Of course you need to. But there's so many other issues. But the problem is that if we actually took care of immigration in the way that it's supposed to. And by the way, I'm not talking about ending immigration. That's what the media will do. Oh, Cutler wants immigration enforcement. He's anti-immigrants. No, I'm not. The United States admits more than a million lawful immigrants every other given green cards. They're immediately placed on the path to citizenship. It's more than the rest of the world combined. We admit tens of millions of temporary visitors every year, more than the rest of the world combined. So how is it anti-immigrant to say just enforce the laws so we can continue to admit lawful immigrants 
We can continue to allow temporary visitors to come for commerce, for vacation, for whatever lawful purpose, and the sun will shine. No one's talking about ending immigration. This isn't anti-immigration. Yet you hear it all the time in the news media. Pro-immigrant, anti-immigrant. If you want immigration anarchy, you're pro-immigrant. Really? The most likely victims of transnational criminals, not just from Latin America. Again, this has nothing to do with Latin America, and I was enraged when Donald Trump said there's a lot of bad hombres out there because he wanted to sound macho, I guess. Like I say, I'm not always in agreement with the Donald, okay? There's a lot of bad people out there from all over the world. I know. I arrested them. I got an award from the government of Japan. I worked very closely with the government of Israel. I helped with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. I arrested an individual wanted for murder in England. Understand, this isn't about Latin America, and it's not about brown skin. No, it's about human nature. Every race, every religion, every ethnicity has the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the purpose of immigration law is to keep out the, the bad. If you go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, and I frequently include a link to that section of law, it lists who we're supposed to keep out. And that would dispel all the lies and BS being spewed by the other side, whether they're on the Democrat or Republican Party, the globalists. It was Ted Cruz, by the way, who used to stand there and say, for America to lead, we need to bring in the world's best and brightest. And what are the Americans, chopped liver, Ted? No, it's both parties, and people get angry. Oh, you're, you're supporting this party or that? No, I, I'm not. I'm not supporting any party. I don't like either party. I've never voted a party line. I'm a registered Democrat because in New York City, basically, it's the only show in town. But I'm disgusted with the Democrats. Uh, I'm also disgusted with the Republicans. I'm disgusted with the fact that so much money is pumped into political campaigns that in a very real sense, as much as we hate the lobbyists, the politicians are the employees of the lobbyists. They get the money from the lobbyists and they do as they are told just like any worker who goes to work, right? The boss tells them what to do, and they do it. Otherwise, they lose their paycheck. The politicians do as they're told, or they lose their campaign contribution. Very simple. If that isn't an employer-employer relationship, I don't know what is. And because it is, it sickens me to my stomach. It enrages me on a scale you can't begin to imagine. As a federal agent, I was not allowed to accept a cup of coffee. Couldn't accept a cup of coffee. Why? Because it might cause you to act differently towards somebody or some situation. And I agreed with that. As a new agent, I was having lunch across the street from my office building. They had a very nice little restaurant uh, with, with, with a table that you could, you know, a counter so you could eat quickly if you were in a rush. And it was either the three bears or the five bears. God only knows what, what the name was. It was so many years ago. And one day while I was, a lawyer that I knew from my days as an adjudications officer, I did the marriage interviews, slid his plate over to sit next to me. And I was very uncomfortable, but I didn't know what in the world to do. And I was having my dessert, and one of my bosses walked by and looked through the window of the restaurant, saw me sitting next to a lawyer at the counter, walked in and whispered in my ear with a really stern voice, Mr. Cutler, finish up and come to my office directly. I need to have a sit-down with you. That was the end of my appetite. And I remember what I was having. I was having chocolate pudding with whipped cream. I put it aside, paid the, the tab, left the tip, went upstairs, and I got chewed out. 
He said, that guy's a lawyer, and you're sitting across from the office having lunch with an attorney. What does it look like? I said, I didn't have lunch with him. He came over to me. He said, you have two choices when that sort of thing happens. Number one, take your food to go. Tell the waiter, sir, please wrap it. He said, of course, you can ask the guy to please not sit next to you. I said, well, I did. He said, well, that's fine. And if he's not going to listen, you either move or you take your food and you go or you sacrifice your lunch. But he said, I don't ever again want to see you sitting in a restaurant next to an attorney who, brings, who represents the people that you arrest. He was completely right. I had another boss who would always end meetings by telling us that as federal agents, it wasn't enough to not engage in wrongdoing. We must never even give the illusion of doing wrong. And we get to these politicians with the campaign contributions and Biden with his son and the laptop and all this money. I mean, how in the world is Swalwell still in the Congress after it was established that he had a relationship with a Chinese prostitute that was linked to the Chinese intelligence network? How could he still be in Congress? How could he still be on the Foreign Relations Committee, as I recall? I got chewed out because a lawyer slid over to sit next to me, and they were right for chewing me out, but that was something I had no control over. I don't think Swalwell wound up in bed with this woman by accident. Do you? This is insane. This is insane. And the American people have been putting up with it for far too long. And we fight among ourselves. Well, really, the people that are doing this to us can be found in both political parties. Of course, the, the Democrats have completely come off the rails. They are totally unhinged. I've never seen anything quite like this. It's disgusting. And they've all reversed themselves. I wish Donald Trump had played videos at every one of his press conferences, pick out a member of Congress or whatever, and, and, and run the video. Where, for example, Bernie Sanders in 2006, I believe it was, stood with the president of the AFL-CIO and said, anybody who hires an illegal alien should be prosecuted because they're taking jobs from Americans and destroying wages for the middle class. Wow. Couldn't have said it better myself. So where's Bernie now? I testified twice to Sheila Jackson Lee. I testified at a hearing in March of 2002 when it was discovered that two of the dead terrorists who carried out the attacks of 9-11, Mohammed Atta, the ringleader, and Marwan al-Shehi, and both of those guys, by the way, were in the cockpits of the two planes that slammed into the two towers. It was discovered that six months to the day after the attacks, they were granted permission to go to flight school. It was Sheila Jackson Lee's counsel who reached out to me and asked me if I'd be willing to come to Washington. It was surreal. I just had a screaming match with Anthony Weiner, or as I called him, Anthony Weenie, my congressman. One of my kids worked for him as an intern, and he treated the kids like garbage. He's a reprobate. I can't say enough nasty things about that guy. So I just had a big argument with him because at the time I was the president of the Parent Association of my daughter's public school, and all the politicians showed up for a working breakfast to tell us about all the great things they were doing because they wanted votes. You know how that all works. And I remember driving down the block, heading to my driveway, my phone rings, and a voice on the other end of the phone asked, is this Mike Cutler? I said, yeah. Well, he told me his name, and he said, your country needs you to come to Washington next week. America needs you, Mr. Cutler. And I thought it was a goof. I thought it was a bizarre phone call. And I said, who in the world are you? And he explained that he was chief counsel 
to the Democrat side of the House Immigration Subcommittee, and then he told me about the two dead terrorists getting permission to go to flight school. It was Sheila Jackson Lee who invited me, and the invitation had to be and was seconded by Jim Sensenbrenner, the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. Everyone was on the same page. Protect America. Secure the border. Let's not have another attack. Jackson Lee at another hearing complained that Bush wasn't giving us enough money to get the job done to arrest people. She complained that he didn't hire all the agents he was given the money to hire. I testified at that hearing also about the same issue, that he didn't get all the detention beds that he was authorized. Then she said, what are you doing? We've got to protect America. This was Sheila Jackson Lee. Who got to them? How did they get to them? Is it blackmail? Is it extortion? What exactly happened so that in a few short years, the very same members of Congress that clearly understood the nexus between terrorism and crime and immigration and border security did a 180-degree flip-flop creating mayhem in America. It's not that they don't know. They know. They know. Read their testimony. They could not have been clearer. Sheila Jackson Lee was spot on. Her testimony was 100% perfect. I was happy to do that hearing and an additional hearing for her about alien smuggling. But what happened to Sheila? What happened to Bernie? It's outrageous. It's outrageous. So now we have this guy, Mayorkas, who apparently thinks he's running the red roof in rather than an element of national security. Come one, come all. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but I will tell you that there's an inspector general report that just came to light through um, Judicial Watch. They did a great job of you know, putting this out there about a clear conflict of interest, no bid contracts involving tens of millions of dollars, and that involves a former employee of the Biden administration. Maybe this is part of the motivation to flood America with all these aliens. I don't know. But I've got a couple of articles in the works, and I think you're going to be stunned. You're going to be stunned. This is shameless. It smells of corruption. So much for that admonition I was given by my bosses that it's not enough to not engage in wrongdoing. You must never even give the illusion of doing wrong. And then you find out that no-bid contracts were given to a company to the tune of tens of millions of dollars involving rooms accommodations for the illegal aliens really if you want to talk about motivation perhaps that's the motivation it's always a wise thing to follow the money so we're going to follow the money in an article that is going to be up and running in another couple of days it's going to be at us incorporated usinc.org i'm also writing a companion piece for front page magazine the american people need to understand exactly what's being done to us when you look at that open border, and I want to um, make a point. I was on a radio show last week, ABC here in New York, and one of the other people on the program, uh, it's called Cats at Night. John Katsimatidis uh, was a mayoral candidate, highly successful, brilliant businessman here in New York. And um, it was his program, Cats at Night, short for Katsimatidis. He's a, a Greek immigrant, by the way, and a fellow New Yorker. And so Peter King, the former congressman, was on the program. Now, the interesting thing about Peter King was that Peter King was the chairman of the Counterterrorism and Intelligence Subcommittee when that 
subcommittee held a hearing on April 17, 2018, on the topic of state sponsors of terrorism and examination of Iran's global terrorism network. And when I mentioned it on the air, Peter immediately said, oh, yes, I remember that hearing, Mike. I said, well, Peter, you were right on the money. Why is this not being publicized more? So let me read to you the segment of a testimony by one of the witnesses. I'll, I'll let you in on a little insider piece of information, too. I don't know if you watch hearings much or not. I tend to, uh, but I, I tend to see it a little bit differently, having done a whole bunch of hearings myself. So I, I, I kind of look at it a little bit differently. And very often when you have different witnesses at a hearing, witnesses get called by both parties. The party in power gets the majority witnesses. Usually it's three versus one. But at this particular hearing, nobody disagreed with what this one witness had to say. They were all standing shoulder to shoulder on this issue. This testimony, I'm going to be honest with you, keeps me awake some nights. When I read it to you, you'll understand why. And it's very brief, so please pay attention. Please take a copy of this podcast and share it with as many people as you can. I want you to understand what's happening. Because I can't forget 9-11 when the ashes landed on my house. I can't forget that I had a big argument with the Republican counsel to the House Judiciary Committee. Prior to 9-11, I said to him, out of frustration, what the blank will it take? Another attack at the World Trade Center? And we had that fight on the Friday before 9-11. I can't forget my neighbors who did come home covered in soot, covered in ash in the middle of the night. My neighbors that were out for weeks in the middle of the night wailing, crying, screaming. They lost their wives, their husbands, their children, their parents, their siblings, their best friends. Never even found out whatever happened to them. The cars driving by with the American flags and the photograph in the window. Have you seen my father? Have you seen my mom? Have you seen my, my son? Do you think you ever forget that? And the politicians standing there pounding the podium, why the hell didn't they connect the dots? We've connected the dots. That was the point of the 9-11 Commission. That's why I gave testimony to the commission. That's why I went repeatedly to Congress to provide expert testimony. We connected the goddamn dots. And now this administration is doing everything in its power to go 180 degrees in the exact opposite precise opposite direction from the findings of the 9-11 Commission. It's as though they looked at the 9-11 Commission and said, what do we have to do to facilitate the next attack on America and get lots of Americans killed? Hell, we've already killed 100,000 by the drugs coming across the border. How many more can we get killed? That's what it feels like to me. This hearing was held four years ago, almost exactly four years ago, April 17, 2018. I promise you the threat if, it is, if it's done anything, it's gotten greater. This isn't ancient history. Don't tell me this was, that was then and this is now. Please listen carefully. The witness at the hearing was Dr. Emmanuel Odalenge of the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, a highly respected, highly reputable expert witness. This is an excerpt from his testimony at that hearing on the state-sponsored terrorism and examination of Iran's global terrorism network, specifically Iran. This is, the rest you will hear is, is what he had to say. In recent years, Hezbollah's Latin American networks, I'm going to interrupt. This is me speaking, by the way. When you think Hezbollah, we tend to think, we tend to think Middle East. Hezbollah has its roots in Lebanon, and it's controlled and funded by Iran. 
So when you hear Hezbollah, we almost always think Middle East. Guess what? They're here in Latin America in huge numbers, tens of thousands, tens of thousands in Latin America. There are terror training camps in the tri-border region of Brazil. Venezuela, for many years, has been accepting flights directly from Tehran into, from, uh, Tehran into Caracas by Quds forces, Iranian shock troops. And by the way, just to underscore something, you may have forgotten it or maybe you didn't know, but around the time that Obama was running for re-election, the FBI and Homeland Security Investigations, ICE, stopped an attack being mounted by Hezbollah from across the southern border to kill the Saudi ambassador and blow up the Saudi embassy in Washington and perhaps blow up the Israeli embassy as well. They were identified as being affiliated with Hezbollah, and they were operating across the border. Okay, what more do you need? Now, without further delay, forgive me. <clears throat> Again, this is Dr. Emmanuel Odalenge's words. In recent years, Hezbollah's Latin American networks have also increasingly cooperated with violent drug cartels and criminal syndicates, often with the assistance of local corrupt political elites. Cooperation includes the laundering of drug money, arranging multi-ton shipments of cocaine to the United States and Europe, and directly distributing and selling illicit substances to distant markets. Proceeds from these activities finance Hezbollah's arms procurement, its terror activities overseas, its hold on Lebanon's political system, and its efforts both in Lebanon and overseas to keep Shia's communities loyal to its cause and complicit in its endeavors. And now, folks, the second paragraph from that testimony seals the deal. If there's any doubts, listen carefully. This toxic crime terror nexus, and again, what crime terror nexus? In this case, the witness was talking about the crime terror nexus between Hezbollah and human traffickers and drug smugglers, often one and the same, drug smugglers, human traffickers, okay? So that's the ter crime terror nexus. So he says this, this toxic crime terror nexus is fueling both the rising threat of global jihadism and the collapse of law and order across Latin America that is helping to drive drugs and people northward into the United States, stating Hezbollah's growing financial needs, it is helping Iran and Hezbollah consolidate a local constituency in multiple countries across Latin America, thus facilitating their efforts to build safe havens for terrorists and a continent-wide terror infrastructure that they could use to strike U.S. targets. And we have no border. What more could I possibly say to you? This toxic crime terror nexus is fueling both the rising threat of global jihadism and the collapse of law and order across Latin America, helping to drive drugs and people northward into the United States. That's what we're seeing, folks, with unprecedented numbers, hundreds of thousands every single month. And when Mayorkas is grilled about this, he says, well, the Trump administration dismantled what we needed in order to deal with the problem. What problem? How are we going to house them all? No, not how are we going to keep them out, not how are we going to protect America. How are we going to house them all? We don't have enough hotels. 
So maybe they'll give out a contract to someone so they can make some money on the side, right? Sometimes my head feels as though it's going to explode. Sometimes I think I'm having a nightmare and I'm going to wake up and I'm going to find out that rational, moral people are in control of the government because that's not the case. With a threat like that, that what they are doing is facilitating efforts to build safe havens for terrorists in a continent-wide infrastructure that Iran could use to strike U.S. targets, and we have a wide-open border. And Trump was impeached for a goddamn phone call? Seriously? I don't even know what to say to you. I don't know what in the world I could possibly say. I don't know any way anyone could possibly justify this. It's like committing murder, and the guy stands there and tries to rationalize why he just killed somebody. He didn't smile at me, and I was angry, so I shot him. Oh, okay. Yes, we have to protect the country, and we're going to do it by letting in millions of people without being able to know who the hell they are. And it just took 19 hijackers on 9-11 to kill more people than we lost to the Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. And then when Jim Jordan pressed Mayorkas about what happened to terrorists on the terror watch list, whether they were still in custody, the chairman tried to cut Jordan off, and he refused to be cut off. They do that all the time. We don't want that answer getting out. How dare the public get the truth? We need a ministry of truth to shut down discussion in America, folks, because the American people aren't going to like what they find out. And what did he say? Well, maybe some of them are still in custody. And what happened to the others? Apparently terrorists have been let loose in the United States by the Department of Homeland Security, which is why I had warned that if he was made head of Homeland Security, New York has returned it into the Department of Homeland Surrender, and he has surrendered our security. He has surrendered our security. I guarantee you there are sleeper agents in this country right now. I don't know what they're doing or where they are, but I promise you their intentions are not in our best interest. And then I wrote an article about how the former president of Honduras was arrested and extradited for smuggling over 500 tons of cocaine into the United States and working in cooperation, allegedly, with El Chapo Guzman, from whom, purportedly, he accepted a million-dollar bribe. Why are we prosecuting this guy for moving narcotics into the United States? I thought that was the goal of the Biden administration. Maybe Biden's son was running low on drugs. They wanted to make sure that he could fill up his closet with enough dope to keep him happy. Record quantities of fentanyl, cocaine, heroin, opiates flowing across the country. And the United States extradites the former president of Honduras. And the, president, uh, and the attorney general um, says, <laughs> incredibly, we'll go anywhere and do anything to stop this. Yeah, try the border. Try enforcing the immigration laws that are essential to dismantling drug trafficking and terrorism organizations. That's not conjecture. Unlike the talking heads on television, I actually did this for a living, folks, for 30 years. I've arrested terrorists. I've arrested drug dealers. I've arrested fugitives. I've arrested murderers. I've arrested child molesters. Not happening under the Biden administration. I worked with Al D'Amato when he was our senator back in the 80s to create the aggravated felon reentry law to make unlawful reentry of a criminal aliens a 20-year felony. Up until then, there was no distinction made about criminal histories, and the worst that an alien who was deported and came back faced was two years in jail, so they almost never prosecuted for that crime. Because of that change in the law, 
under the Trump administration, unlawful reentry by criminal aliens was the most frequently prosecuted felony by the entire Justice Department throughout the United States. That's been basically shut down. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. How in the world does this administration justify what they've done? How in the world can they possibly justify what they've done? All the pounding on the podium about connecting dots. Once again, I'm connecting the dots for you. By the way, the former premier of the British Virgin Islands was also arrested in Miami a couple days after the former president of Honduras was extradited to the United States, also for drug smuggling. So you have to wonder, why are they arresting them? Were they not playing ball? Did they not go along with the program the way they wanted? Just asking a question. I have no idea. Certainly they should be arrested if they did what they're charged with doing. Don't misunderstand me. I spent half my 30 years with the Drug Task Force and with DEA intelligence. But I find it remarkable that a time that record quantities of narcotics flow freely into our country, and as a consequence we have record numbers of overdose deaths in America, that these two guys are being prosecuted. And then a couple days later, DOJ issued a press release about some Honduran fugitives they're looking for. For what? Coming here illegally, selling drugs? Do they care? If they cared, they'd secure the border. If they cared, they would enforce immigration laws. If they cared, they would end the policies of sanctuary cities. Why do you think El Chapo Guzman used New York as his hub for West Coast drug trafficking operations? New York has the biggest, most sophisticated, best equipped, and best trained police department. Why would you come to New York? Because we have sanctuary policies, and we have access to international airports, seaports, and the Canadian border. That's why. You really want to stop this? Start enforcing the law. You really want to stop this? Stop turning criminals loose. Catch and release may have started with immigration, but it's now the way that many of these wacky, leftist, radical cities are doing business with all criminals, isn't it? And by the way, catch and release wasn't limited to the Border Patrol as an immigration agent. We frequently arrested people, even after chasing them for five blocks and having a fist fight. And then my boss would say, sorry, Mike, there's no room, so we're going to have to release him. Wow. I'm sure glad that I got banged up, ripped up my clothing, and, and, and arrested a guy. Because now we just taught him that you can do anything in, in the United States and nothing will happen. And this was going on 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Nobody really wants the immigration laws enforced. Not the Chamber of Commerce, not the American Immigration Lawyers Association, not the NGOs, non-government organizations that are feeding at the trough, not the corporations that are hiring them. There's a lot of money to be made by screwing Americans. That's really where we are. We are screwing Americans, and we're screwing up America. And that's not a statement of xenophobia. I'm Jewish, and I arrested an Israeli who also happened to be Jewish because he was wanted for a terrible murder, I mean a particularly heinous murder, that he committed back in Israel. It's not about xenophobia or racism. It's about the law. It's about the law. And I'm sick and tired of the news media using the phrase, pro-immigrant versus anti-immigrant. Oh, pro-immigrant group. And I've heard that on Fox, by the way. 
No, if you want anarchy, you're not pro-immigrant. You're pro-anarchy. But this is what we're up against. We're up against lies and propaganda, and it's costing people lives. These are not victimless crimes, anything but victimless crimes. And when the 9-11 Commission could be so crystal clear about the nexus between immigration, border security, and national security, what are we supposed to say? Title 42 is about aliens applying for political asylum. And then there's the Remain in Mexico policy. Oh, they need to apply for asylum. We know that most of these people are not really going to get asylum because they don't qualify. There's no such thing as economic asylum. When you listen to some of the people, even on the conservative programs, oh, these poor people are coming here. They're desperate. That's understandable. They should be allowed to stay. No, they shouldn't. I'm sorry. The solution to world hunger isn't to bring all the world's poor to America. Do I feel bad for them? Of course I do. I didn't see the illegals that I arrested who were working illegally as the enemy. Far from it. There were times I went out and bought lunch for them out of my own pocket because I felt terrible. I remember one 16-year-old kid that I arrested working in a green grocer. He was emaciated. If you wanted to take a chest X-ray, you didn't need an X-ray machine, just a bright flashlight. You could see through him. So I took him to a kosher deli in Brooklyn. Where else would a Jewish kid from New York take him? And I bought him a big overflowing roast beef sandwich with a big potato knish and a can of soda, and he inhaled it. And when I looked at the way he was eating, it made me cry. He cried, I cried. He said he had never in his life tasted anything like it. He wanted to know what kind of food I got him. It was a roast beef sandwich. Not my enemy. But we can't bring a billion people to the United States, which seems to be the goal of the Biden administration, because they want an amnesty. And if we give an amnesty, and there are many Republicans going along with this, folks, making the unreasonable sound reasonable. Well, once we secure the border, I don't know what that has to do with amnesty, we'll have the beleaguered and overworked and overburdened adjudicators of citizenship and immigration services give everybody lawful status. No interviews, no field investigations. And by the way, once you legalize an alien, they have every right to bring in all their minor children and their spouses. I agree with that, by the way. I don't agree with giving them amnesty, but the law makes sense. If you come to America, we don't expect you to sever your ties with your children or your spouse. So what happens if we legalize 25 million aliens, and on average they each claim to have four children back home? We're going to see an influx of 100 million. What would that do to the schools or the environment? That's why I wrote an article for Front Page Magazine where I suggested that they have to conduct an environmental impact study about what, what massive immigration would mean to America because everyone who comes here for whatever period of time needs more than a pillow to sleep on. Everyone here needs food and water and shelter and sewerage and electricity and transportation and potentially access to health care. And if they're kids, they're going to need education. The law requires it. And the Congressional Budget Office did a study in 2006, thereabouts, where they said that it costs 20 to 40% more to educate kids who can't speak, read, or write English. We're having enough trouble trying to educate American kids, especially American children living in poverty. So we're going to bring in 100 million students and plunk them down at the schools? How's that going to work out for American children who are struggling? Because they need that education so they can grow up and be successful in our country. What more could you do to torpedo America 
or the American citizen. But no one wants to talk about that. Reagan gave us the first amnesty, and I'm always hearing, well, the Democrats fooled him. Well, I don't know what happened, but I'm sorry. You're the president. You get fooled. You're responsible. If someone fooled me into doing something illegal, I bear responsibility. But no one talks about, they talk about the three and a half million that he gave lawful status to. It was supposed to be a million. No one talks about how many millions of children and then, because of chain migration, additional aliens ultimately got lawful status because of the Reagan amnesty. Because both sides of the aisle want it. Because they've been paid by the Chamber of Commerce, the American Immigration Lawyers Association, and all these other groups. It's like, I remember when I used to get on an airplane, it was a luxurious experience. They really took care of you. They catered to you. There was comfortable seats. You fly coach. You sit there with your knees in your mouth. That's what they're going to do to the American city. We'll be sitting there with the knees in our mouth. Roads that are so congested you can't go anywhere, but it won't matter because you won't be able to pay for gas. And if we have only electric cars, how in the world will the grid provide enough electricity for the cars? Because that infrastructure does not exist. Nobody talks about that either. All the things that no one talks about. And perhaps that's the motivation by this administration for the creation of a ministry of truth. In government, we had a term for it. We called it the mushroom treatment. The mushroom treatment means you keep people in the dark and you feed them a lot of fertilizer. Sound familiar? We have serious challenges ahead of us. But I think that the first thing we as Americans should be doing is sitting down with our neighbors. Barbecues are, become, are going to be coming. Uh, we're going to be out there at the park. We're going to be playing with our kids and your neighbor's children. It's an opportunity not for fighting, but for calm, fact-based conversation. I would ask you to check out my articles at U.S. Incorporated, usinc.org, frontpagemag.com, links to my podcast. I'm not going to claim to have all the answers. I don't. My parents warned me that if you meet someone who claims to have all the answers, run for your life. But I've been around the block. I've been involved with this issue going back, believe it or not, since 1970. One, it's scary. That's over 51 years. And I've learned some stuff along the way. Uh, it's been a hell of an education. I'm trying to impart to you what I've learned over the years. It's not anti-immigrant to want immigration law enforcement. It's common sense to keep people out who pose a threat to your safety and your well-being. And anybody who tells you otherwise is either a liar or a fool or both. Please get involved, folks. I always like to make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. The facts are on our side. Common sense and the laws are all on our side, and so is morality. This is an easy conversation to have if we just stick to the facts. As John Adams very sagely said, facts are stubborn things. Sorry for being late today. <laughs> I hope I don't get any demerits. I plan to be on time next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Hope to see you then. Have a great weekend and stay safe. Be well.